You're listening to Lang FM, the podcast about language and what people do with it. My guest on this episode, fellow Alexander and former fellow conference interpreter at the European Commission. I'm just a poor boy from another nowhere town. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Alexander Smith. Just a nowhere boy from another nowhere town. That's him singing, by the way. Must be a way where I can know my name. In 2017, Alex hung up his interpreting headphones for good. I jumped at the chance to sit down with him for a chat about his life in interpreting and in music. So here he is, the wonderful Alexander Smith. Love is closer than the thought inside my head. My father was a Scotsman and my mother was Danish. I was born in Fontainebleau in France because my father was stationed there with the RAF, you know, in, 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 yeah. the, in the early 50s. We were in Singapore for a while because there was still an empire in those mm. days, for which it seems there's much nostalgia, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, these days. There is. And, then I, and, then, uh, and then we went back to London. My father worked at Air Ministry and we lived in Ealing in London. And then when my father retired from the, the Air Force, he worked for GCHQ, you know, the, mm. the intelligence people. That was in, in Cheltenham. So we moved to Cheltenham, and I went to school in Cheltenham there. Then as I left school, which was, what, 1969, my parents, my father re- retired from GCHQ and went to live in Scotland, yeah. in Carnoustie, which is near Dundee. And I then went away to university in, in Newcastle, Newcastle on Tyne in the north of England. So it was a bit yeah. of a bit of a change there. So how did your parents meet? My did your mother work at, at the, an army base? No, not at all. My my, it was, I don't know. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but my father was was working in Copenhagen after the war, building up uh, civil aviation oh, at Castorp. You know, and I think he he asked directions of my mother. You know. Uh, as, uh, I think at the station and said, uh, yeah. you know, do you speak English? Which she said, a little. <laughs> because my mother must have been quite interested because she said, but you must meet my father who does speak quite good English, who yeah. studied it. So my father went through this ritual of sort of, you know, enter- entertaining her, you know, my grandfather. You know, yeah. but really, but he was obviously a lot more interested in my mother than he was in, in, in Well, fair enough. He went to the trouble, you know. <laughs> That's good. And so, well, I, I eventually, you know, one thing led to another and they, they they, they were married, you know, yeah. and that was must have been 1951, and then I was born in 52, yeah. and uh, and uh, and did you speak the, the respective languages with your parents? English and Danish, or a, not no. really? Because I mean, my mother made a big effort when I was very little to speak Danish to me, mm. but as soon as I went to school, and don't forget, in England you went to school age four and a half, five. Mm. I really didn't want to know because I wanted to be just as cool as those other yeah. monolingual Belong. kids. Yeah. And of course, the idea that my mother was some sort of weirdo, you know, who mm. didn't speak proper, I mean, it used to embarrass me at that age. You mm. know? Well, now I feel embarrassed at the fact of having been embarrassed. But I mean, uh, mm. you know how it is with kids. The, 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 the pull of conformity is huge. Infinity in infinity. But I've died up here in your little box. Yeah. This is it. 
We used, we used to go to Denmark every year on holiday yeah. as well. So, I mean, I kind of knew, and well, knew Denmark. So I had a feel for Denmark in a childish sort of way. I had a complete, I also had a, an echo of the language, you know, mm. as, as a sort of corporeal experience. I mean, you know, so for me, when I came to learning Danish, when, when I went to university, I went to study Scandinavian studies. Mm. Of course, it was miles easier for me to learn it than for people coming from scratch because I already had a, had a feel for it. You know what I mean? Mm. It wasn't really a foreign language because the whole sure. vibration of it, the whole emotional state which attaches to speaking other language was something which was completely familiar to me. So, mm. I mean, it was a lot easier for me to learn than... than and for others, you know, because I know that interpreters, for example, coming to Danish find it very hard. Oh, yeah. Not because Danish <laughs> is intrinsically hard. It's probably... Well, except the numbers. It's probably, so the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's probably the easiest language. It's probably the language which is actually closest to English, in fact, you know. Okay, yeah. I mean, other than French, but, but Fre <laughs> you know, that's because, you know, English is full of French. But yes, actually, if you it look is, at it, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's Danish is probably the language which is closest to English, which is hardly surprising because it's obviously influenced English, you know. Yeah. But... Um, but of course, acoustically, it's really, really tricky because I mean, it's very, very difficult to 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 get used to the sound of it and the pronunciation Absolutely. of it, mm. which was never really a problem for me. So I had a bit of a flying start with that. Mm. I had a, quite a good command of, of of the most base and vulgar Danish imaginable. <laughs> In fact, the, what um, they call kitchen Danish. Well, it was yeah. less than that. It was, was below than, that. <laughs> yeah. Although, ironically, I, I did work in the hospital kitchen, but it yeah. was it was pretty sort of you know vulgar, really. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think Danish is like German. But there's a, there's a coarse street to the language which is incredibly coarse, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean. But it was kind of fun. I know we used to tease my mother, who had you know pretensions of gentility. My brother and I. My brother also you know drank from 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 the same spring. So yeah. we used to speak to each other this absolutely sort of you know base Copenhagen accent. You know, to my He's a younger brother. Or older brother? He's younger, younger than me, brother, yeah. and uh, it used to irritate my mother no end. Of course, which we found it extremely <laughs> yeah. amusing. You know. So I was. So there was no way you were going to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, well, or whatever. Well, I never look. I never. I, I don't forget. I come from another planet. It's another <laughs> era altogether. Because I was That's brought true. up in, in, in. I was at school in, in the sixties, hmm. and the idea that you would never get a job was just you know it was unthinkable. Hmm. You, of course, you would get a job. You know, hmm. I went to a nice school, a nice middle class background. I was bound to get a job of some yeah. sort. There was no. There was no thought of that. So you were in a way we were much freer. I mean. Hmm. And uh, I was the thing I was best at at school was languages, which interested me most. And I was interested in learning Danish for the simple reason I had a whole bunch of Danish family I couldn't speak to sure, properly, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, my father, who through his work at GCHQ, he actually said to me, "Look, I wouldn't hesitate to learn a one-off language." Mm. He said because you find you might be the only person who does it. <laughs> yeah. And because most of us, you know, and I went to university and, and you know, the, my my contemporaries said, what the bloody hell are you learning Danish for? You know, everyone speaks bloody English, a complete waste of time. <laughs> well, even back then, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, well, the Danes certainly already then were, you know, would speak, would and could speak English. Yeah. But, I mean, as it turned out, I mean, I, I got I got my job here on the strength of the Danish, which was uh, yeah. because they were desperate for people who knew Danish, you know. And, when, you know, so my father's advice came absolutely, came out trumps, absolutely, you know. Mm. So uh, it just goes to show, I mean, uh, 
you know, you don't really know, really. I mean, it, it, would make, it seems to make a lot of sense to learn the standard languages. Yeah. In my day, at least, the, the, the standard yeah. languages were French and German. Sure. Yeah. I mean, German is being pushed aside by Spanish now as a second language mm. because, I don't know, people go on holiday to Spain and... Or retire in Spain. And people say it's easier or something, which I don't yeah. believe, actually. No. You know? no, no. But, I mean, there's no such thing as an easy language. I mean, True. that's just absurd, you know. So I, find, I regret that because I really enjoyed studying German at school. We learned French from the, the mm. earliest age. So no classics then? Oh, I did, oh, I did, I did Latin, obviously. I did Latin throughout. Oh, yeah. Okay, you had to, I suppose. And, but I've, I've forgotten everything. Mm. I mean, I can't even read an inscription. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can sort of, you know, deduce it from Italian and yeah. French, but yeah. I can't really read Latin, you mm. know. But we, were, we did Latin, 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 uh, you know, around the clock. I also studied Greek for a while, mm. classical Greek, so I could read it. I can't understand it, but I can read it. <laughs> At you least know. you can read it. <laughs> so no, so yeah. it was a, and even the French was 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 studied in a very very old fashioned way. I mean, yeah. it was studied almost in the same way as 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 a, a dead language. Yeah, because it was much more difficult to travel. I mean, in those days, well, I, I imagine. Or... What, well, I, we went. We had a school trip to France. I remember as something quite magical oh, because yeah. we we were we, we were twinned with a school in uh, in uh, La Fleche, which is on Le Loire. It's 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 uh, oh, it's uh, it's down that way near near La Loire. Oh. And uh, it was called La Britannie Militaire de la Flèche. My school, which was rather pompous, self-important establishment, <laughs> had had uh, saw itself as as having a sort of military aspect to I it. See, yeah. And this Britannie Militaire was actually a school specially for the the children of serving officers and so on. So, okay. so we we were jumelés with with them. And I remember going there and thinking it was just absolutely marvelous. But the whole the whole business of of foreignness and foreign languages always absolutely incredible. Incredibly intriguing, incredibly yeah. exciting to me. I mean, I don't know how you could not be yeah. fascinated by it. You know, you know, and you know, and I mean, I, then I went on when I at school. The three subjects which I took, you know, for, for leaving school were were uh, English, yeah. French, and German. You know? mm. And uh, then I left school and I went to the university in, in Newcastle, there mm. where they had a big Scandinavian studies department yeah. because because of the natural links with Scandinavia they had a big Scandinavian department there and I was very pleased to go there and uh, no it was great because I was very spoiled as well because I had a whole Scandinavian department mm -hmm. and they didn't have that many students so mm. we were, when, <laughs> and, in fact in, in final honours Danish there was me and uh, another guy who was a mature student who yeah. was about 10 years older than me who's, who'd married a Danish girl yeah. you know and so it was just the two of us so it was like you know it must be like being an only child in, in, in China or something we were incredibly <laughs> yes. the, the whole department was completely devoted to us yeah. you know, <laughs> which is fantastic yeah, of yeah. absolutely you know? Yeah. you know, when you think of the, the the fact that you know the, the Scandinavians ruled much of England, you know, and there's they a did. huge, there's a huge influence there. I mean, that uh, it makes perfect sense, really, yeah. from from a, a language history point of view. I know, for example, people who study the history of English seriously, mm. not, not only study Anglo-Saxon but also study Old Icelandic. Mm. You know. So, I mean, uh, which is something I studied too, incidentally, at university, part of my course involved the study of Old Icelandic. Hmm. But that was literally like Latin because, it, I mean, it's, it's contrary to Danish, 
which has become very simplified. Mm. It's highly inflected, you know, and, oh, and uh, yeah. there's, there's conjugations and, and, and declensions, a go-go, yeah. you know. So we had to learn all of those things, mm. but uh, of which, of course, I can remember not a thing. I mean, I went on mission to Iceland a few years ago, and I was uh-huh. really excited at that, you know, but I was very disappointed to discover I really couldn't understand it. Mm. And I couldn't really even read a newspaper. I mean, mm. you know, I could read a newspaper in languages I don't really know, like Italian and, and Spanish. But, I mean, something. could you read the script? Because the script already is quite interesting. Oh, no. Well, they have a yeah. few letters which are slightly different. Yeah. I recognize those letters, okay. you know. Yeah. There's a th- and th- <laughs> But, I mean, no, I can recognize I ah. recognize the letters. But it's just that, you know, I, I was surprised that I didn't understand more, you yeah. know. But what was the plan? I mean, did, uh, did you have a plan uh, studying and then moving on to... Um, well, no. I mean, I, my, in fact, I, w- I was very interested in, 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 in doing you know, a number of research projects which I had in mm. mind. There's one Linguistic thing I, research? Linguistic h- history yeah. projects I had in mind because I was very interested in, in, in uh, the links between uh, Denmark and Scotland because of oh. my parents, you know, and there's very interesting historical links there. I was certainly interested in place names, for example, which mm-hmm. is quite fascinating. Because it is, Not yeah. only do you have Scandinavian place names, you know, yeah. you know, which in, in England, but in Scotland, even in the Gaelic-speaking areas, you have Scandinavian place names. So there's a quite yeah. clear influence of, of Scandinavian on, on, on the on, on the Gaelic-speaking regions as yeah. well, which is quite intriguing, you know. And then, of course, you have Orkney and Shetland, which were very specifically uh, Scandinavian. So mm. I was very interested in researching those dialects in order to be able to to, to, to trace the exact Scandinavian origin of all of that. As a sort of fill-in job, I, I, I got a job in a, in a, in a hospital. It was an old people's home in Copenhagen. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, that, that was piles of fun because I was in with a lot of young people. It was, you know, the early 70s and it was, mm. a, it was just an absolute gas, you know. <laughs> and uh, I used to work there on a, on a, on a, do the Sunday shift sometimes. And I remember, I remember they had a little garden there, and I was I, I was I was just uh, kicking my heels a bit in this garden. There was not, there yeah. was a, there was a, a Sunday newspaper, and I never used to get the daily Sunday newspaper because I mean there were massive great things I could never get through them. They were quite expensive mm-hmm. for me then. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I no one seems to want this paper, so I I, I purloined it and took yeah. it home, and I was reading it. There was a, a little article which said, Dansk. It probably important for EF. Danish is a problem for the uh, European communities because right. they couldn't find people. And there was a whole. So this was in the run up to the. Uh, yeah, this was. Joining in, the EU, this was the just EU? after. It must or have been. After, yeah. It was just after I graduated and, and I just went back to the job which I'd had as a student when I'd had been in Denmark because I enjoyed it so much. So all yeah. this little article which said that Danish yeah. was a problem for the EU and there were the whole of the. This, the well, it was before the, the interpretation service was, 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 was trying to recruit people. Mm. For, uh, they, had, they were holding a meeting at the information centre in Copenhagen right. and uh, I thought well I might as well turn up and you know see what it is mm. and I came straight from work that's I had a shift <laughs> which ran from 6 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock yeah. and this was in the afternoon so I came tra- straight from work and, and you know you've got to realise it was what 1974 it was still you know flared trousers and long hair mm. which, you know <laughs> and I turned up there and of course I, I you know I thought oh my god everyone's wearing suits this is a serious it wasn't just a sort of <laughs> casual inquiry it was a, a yeah. serious you know <laughs> serious event <laughs> a serious yeah. event anyway when I just 
just plowed ahead with it. They gave us a, a, what I, I subsequently realized was an aptitude test. Oh, right. And the guy spoke to me in Danish for a bit. And, that, and he said, well, could you, could you repeat that? Well, yeah, that was easy. I just had to repeat what he said. That's quite obvious. <laughs> so. Then they asked me to do some French. You know, and I mean, I, my French wasn't really up to much. I mean, so he spoke da- no, Danish or English? He spoke, the guy spoke a bit of Danish. And yeah. I, had to take a f- I took a few notes, like an aptitude right. test, and okay. I gave it back. But you know, it was dead easy. I mean, there was no, no issue, really. Yeah, you know. came naturally. Yeah, well, I wouldn't really... Didn't really yeah. know. And then the, I had to do some French, which you know, I didn't know the words so well. Mm. So I, you know, I immediately started lying. So I had all the... That, <laughs> the rights and conservative instincts you know yeah. <laughs> and i managed to get through that and then it, i realized subsequently the guy who gave me the interview was flushner you know mm. and flushner said well you know if you come down to brussels and do the stage there you know you'll you'll pick up a lot of friends that'll be fine and yeah start in november which was you know just the next month really wow. you know <laughs> and so i came and did came down to do the stage in uh in November of 1974. So moving to Brussels wasn't a big problem at all? Well, I was really young. I was only Mm. 22. I mean, Mm. the whole thing was just like, don't forget it was a different kind of era where it was like, you know, I was thinking I was just going to be just another cool thing I was going to do in this fabulous swathe. (laughs) I was going to be cutting through life, you know. So I just kind of rocked up in in, in Brussels, blundered my way through the various offices, you know, Mm. and then went, went and did the course, completely protected by my... My innocence, you know, yeah. and uh, a good thing, maybe. yeah. And then we, then we, you know, we got a bit of a rude awakening with with the stage because it was, ba- it was based on the old French idea of intimidating yeah. people, you know, breaking you. Yeah. but I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've been doing exams, you know, forever. So I mean, mm. I was quite used to doing exams. It mm. didn't, it didn't really worry me too much. But it was quite tough. You had to do do an ex- a test every. It was a six month course. Mm. You had to do a test every two months. Yeah. And then I, pa- I passed the, the final test. It must have been at the end of April '75. And then I started work as a as a, an auxiliaire, as it was in those days, hmm. in uh, in uh, May of 1975. I finished the stage. Yeah, I wasn't. I, we got, I went over to England in, in just before Christmas. Right. Just after Christmas, we were married in '74. And then I brought my wife over with me. We, the period, we finished the stage. Mm. And then I and then I started work in '75. We moved into a swanky apartment on 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 the strength of my you know, yeah. fantastic salary. So on did the, you manage to break after all? You were, you were successful in the well, final. Well, no, exam. I mean, I, I as I say, I think I was protected by my innocence yeah. because when it came to taking exams later on, I found them much more intimidating because I mm. kind of I knew the people, I knew what was going on. I mean, mm. because don't forget, I mean, I I didn't really think I was going to stay. I mean, I just thought we'll do this, you know. Yeah. You know See yeah, and don't forget it was before there was any idea of a sort of crisis or anything. Yeah. There was a sort of oil crisis in 73, That's wasn't right. there? Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of the, of the end of the halcyon days of, of uh, <laughs> where, you know, no one worried about stuff like mm-hmm. that. We were incredibly free when I think about it, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, after that, things got tougher. And then it went through to the 80s where you got a whole new kind of Thatcherite generation mm. were much more kind of structured in, in, in what they wanted to do. You know, mm. we still had a, you know, a kind of slightly amateur approach. I think we were better for it. I mean, some of the interpreters I knew were absolutely 
brilliant. I don't think I've ever come across anyone like Tony Braddy was absolutely mm. brilliant. You know, Richard Appleby, who died very sadly, was absolutely brilliant interpreter. And they were yeah. part of that generation where, you know, they, they didn't they didn't decide at the age, some tender age, what they wanted to be when they grew yeah. up was to be interpreters. They just happened to know the languages and happened to be good at it, you know. And then interpreting happened to them. Of sort of exactly. Yeah. Absolutely, you know. But uh, but you did pick up French then when you stayed in Brussels. Oh yes, yeah. but French I I had studied. I mean, I'd okay, studied yeah, it right. at university. Mm. It's just that you know I'd forgotten it, and mm. you know it's one of those things. If you don't practice it, you you uh, oh, yeah. you you, you, you lose it. Now it had been completely overlaid by my Danish because I tried throwing myself into this Danish mm. thing, which I think psychologically played a very important role in my life because it gave me a kind of an alternative identity. Mm. Because you know I went to this rather self-important school and that slightly kind of constipated environment of of, of English sort of you know that, that English world which is sufficient unto itself yeah, you know stuffy, and yeah. uh, I I was able to sort of you know, reinvent myself really now you know I think a lot of people do that when they study language they discover it's a medium of kind of reinventing themselves through the medium of a different language a different culture yeah. you know I think it's a it's a fantastic opportunity of course you as a result of which you see the world completely differently. Yeah. You know, other people may do things differently, but uh, it, though it's different, it's, it's equally valid. But how, how would you say interpreting was was different back then? It's, it's maybe a lazy question, but oh. it's still, I think, interesting. Well, I mean, was, there were fewer languages first. There were fewer so. languages, yeah. and it was smaller, and people knew each other much more. It was much more, much, yeah, is much more intimate. Was there the delegates and the interpreters? Was there more contact between the two than there is nowadays? What well, did you mean among the interpreters? Yeah, we maybe? didn't. I don't remember socializing as such with yeah. the delegates, but of course they were easier to see. Yeah. You could establish eye contact much more. The whole thing was much more intimate, you mm. know. Whereas now, if you're, if you're working in the English booth, I mean, you're working for all and sundry. I mean, yeah. it's difficult to have quite that same sort of, you know, intuitive umbilical link to the delegation, which, mm. which you know, we had when we started, you know. And of course, the other huge difference is, 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 is English, isn't it? Because mm. in our day, the French very was, much a foreign language French was yeah. far and away the, the yeah. dominant language mm. you know so we did acres and acres of, of French including a lot of really bad French mm. like you guys had to do a piles of bad English you know so yeah. I mean uh, we had to do so it doesn't repeat itself yes. after all <laughs> but you know I think from a professional point of view I mean we were far better off because mm. I mean for starters and auxiliaires I started I mean you worked every day for a year and then I took another test and became a temporaire and I worked mm. every day and you worked every And you actually worked every day, and we were two in the booth. Mm. So you work, work, work. So that that, that deep sort of instinct for it, you know, that mm. that simply the, you know, the the the, the moving sort of uh, center aspect of it was 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 inculcated in us from the earliest times. So I think we had a huge advantage, you know, mm. from that point of view. <laughs> Because there's lots of routine, just in, in oh, absolutely. Yeah. Most, I mean, you couldn't do it if it weren't for routine. It'd be impossible. Mm. Imagine having to reinvent the wheel. How did 
did you go about um, adding more languages? Was it just out of curiosity? What, were you told to learn? No, not really. But I, I always felt duty-bound to add German because I'd studied German at yeah. school and I'd always liked German. You know, mm. I really enjoyed reading German literature and stuff, but my, mm. my German was a bit iffy. And I, 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 of course, it was difficult for me to go away to study, you know, because I would have liked to have gone, I don't know, to Heidelberg or something mm. to study. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't actually do that because I mean, by that time, you know, we had small children and that it mm. wasn't really practical. So I never got the chance to go away. But I studied it a lot, you know, reading and, and listening and, and watching TV and stuff for myself. Mm. And then I ended up taking a test. I asked them to give me a test because I really wanted to get the sort of the driving license. Yeah. I didn't have to do the test, but I wanted to feel that it wasn't just my responsibility, you know? Yeah. And funny enough, it was Tony Bradley who was the person at my test there. And Tony said, well, uh, it sounded very convincing. I'm not quite sure whether it was exactly what the original said, but it's very difficult sometimes to compare. So he kind of saw right through me. But, uh, yeah. but I mean, I... German was, was a challenge. I must say, I found it you know, quite. I get I get avalanched occasionally, you know. By mm. but not, but now, I mean, uh, you know, the word order thing. I hardly notice. Mm. I know it sounds ridiculous because <laughs> people say, you know, the word order must be really difficult. I don't notice it well, because you, you get, get so used to, used to the rhythms yeah. of the language exactly. that I mean, it's a completely. You're not as not as though Germans, you know bust the gut putting their sen- their verbs at the end of the sentence it's yeah. a perfectly normal and natural yeah. thing you know and you so, learn to anticipate yes, and you know, yeah. you know where the speaker's going of course going, because yeah. thankfully no one's terribly original you know yeah. what I mean <laughs> of course how can they be if everyone's learned language by copying it so yeah. I mean uh, you know so once, once you get in the natural cadences of the language and, is no, that I, something that you notice increasingly that people aren't really original that topics keep popping up that people tend to say the same thing. Well, more yes, I think yeah. so, isn't it? I mean, obviously there are subjects which you don't, you know less about, but, you know, gradually, simply by dint of doing them, you become more familiar with them. Mm. I mean, you know perfectly well, as long as though you're even remotely an expert, but certain things, you know, keep coming round and you get yeah. used to them. You know, I often think that about languages. You don't really learn languages, you just get mm. used to them, really, don't you? Yeah. you know? <laughs> <That's true. laughs> so, so which other, other languages did you add to then after that, after that, I added Swedish, and that was mm. a, at the specific uh, uh, request of the uh, of the head of Booth at the time, who was Tony Bradley. So that was for the Swedish, not Tony Bradley, Tony Scott. Tony I mean, Scott, yeah. yeah. And Tony ran me up just out, out at a meet, and I was at a meeting one day. And said, "Do you want to? Do you want? To, we want <laughs> you to learn. Swedish. We want you to learn Norwegian or Swedish." Yes, he said at the time, and. Uh, well, I said, well, I think I prefer to do Swedish for the simple reason it's more different, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, I and that was it. And I did a course here. Uh, I was with a bunch of Danes, actually, mostly. We went up to Sweden for a couple of weeks. Mm. And then nice. it's like, you know, it's like preparing people for the front when you're running out of recruits. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get them ready we got, we, got, we got two weeks of bayonet practice and yeah. got sent to the front. But I mm. mean... Uh, no, it was a, that was a real challenge to start with. Again, I, you know, I got I got very used to doing Swedish. In a way, I mean, they're, they're in a way that it's, it's, it's culturally different from Denmark, and they have a culture of public speaking, and so often they're, as it were, objectively speaking, better speakers. Mm. And so sometimes I've found actually the Swedish easier to do hmm. than the Danish. Although I understand, I mean, you you know, you if I were if I were drunk and you kicked me away because I, I could understand Danish, but, yeah. you know, Swedish. Other people's conversations are still a bit, you know, come see, yeah. come sir. 
But I mean, I got a lot of fun out of doing the Swedish also because I studied Scandinavian studies. And it's yeah. one of those things I'd always meant to do. So you you know? had a very good foundation, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Well, mm. Danish gives you kind of a running start because mm. you know, obviously a lot of the words are, if not the same, at least equivalent, Very you know. Similar, yeah. But there's a lot of different words. There are fuzz and me, and they, they, the way they say things, the way they, they put their thoughts together is actually quite different, you mm. know. And you've got to learn that whole a whole new kind of emotional furniture which goes with a, a new language, you know. Mm. But uh, no, I got a lot of fun out of that. And I think one of the things I, I really enjoyed was overcoming the, the typically Danish prejudices about Sweden, which is basically that Siberia starts in Helsingborg, you know. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Which is, you know, quite radically unfair. And I enjoyed, yeah. I enjoyed Sweden hugely, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, now, actually, my, I, I, you know, I, I've been to, to, to Sweden a few times on holiday with my wife. My wife actually prefers uh, Stockholm to Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose it is, it is, you know, in a way, quite breathtakingly beautiful city, you know. I mean, it doesn't have quite the same urban buzz as, as Copenhagen yeah, has. You but, yeah. but uh, you know, it is, you know, it is, you know, it's a classic beauty as opposed to a jolie laid, which is, yeah, you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, no. So, I mean, I got a lot out of the Swedish. And then in the end, I, I sort of came clean and felt I really ought to sort of work on the Dutch because I'd lived here all these years. Yeah. And uh, you know, I under- in meetings I understood you know a, you know a significant percentage of what was said, mm. and then I got to the point where I thought like, you know it was almost you know better for me to do it direct than to take the relay. Yeah, and so yeah, there absolutely. there I, I I said I'd do it, and they sent me to. Well, I, I went to the KUL in Leuven. Mm. I could stay at home with the family. Yeah, I went to just Car- around the corner. I went to the KUL every day for for th- for three months, mm. you know, and I just filled my day with an assortment of lectures. And uh, then I came back and and did it. So uh, that was the Dutch. And then, of course, I added I added uh, I added Norwegian just just for a sort of you know, sort of boyish desire to have a complete set of, yeah, of Scandinavian. Scandinavian. I did yeah. I did Norwegian very much on the cheap because I said they didn't want to pay for any sort of course for me. Mm. I said, well, just send me to Norway for a week. <laughs> and I went deep. I went to the uh, the, uh, the university in Oslo yeah. for a week and did exactly the same thing. I went to lectures every day mm. for a week and tried to sort of simply, you know, soak it up, soak yeah. it up mm. you know. And then I, I've done it. I, I, the best, the best, the most fun Norwegian meeting I did was, uh, was the... Uh, the, the TETUC Congress a couple of years ago in Paris, mm. where suddenly realizing they started nervously speaking Norwegian, when mm. they realized it was kind of working, they all suddenly <laughs> popped out of the woodwork. I oh, mean, they, they hunted packs, you know. So I yeah. got I got quite a lot of quite quite scary Norwegian. But what they do have, which is more tricky, is they have a, a sort of respect for dialect. They don't. Mm. Re- that's to say, you know, it's it's not seen as being poor form to, to speak dialect. So which it is, you know, certainly in English or other languages. Mm. You know, come come to a meeting and speak dialect is a bit sort of uh, oh yeah, not really like quite. That. <laughs> not really quite the thing, is it? You no, know, but, no. but in Norwegian, the dialect enjoys a considerable status. You can get people yeah. speaking. God, blimey, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you do work with, from Dutch, but sometimes you get people speaking a dialect in, yeah. in, in, in a Flemish dialect, which, oh, yes. which leaves you gasping. Yeah. You know, and they don't realise really because yeah, that's it's, that, it's that, an agricultural yeah. or trade unions, for example. Yeah. Yes. 
So that could leave you gasping. It's a little yeah. bit like that with Norwegian, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. because if they speak at a very, the more formal it is, mm. the easier it is, because the more like Danish it is, really, you mm. know. Knowing Danish is, is 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 a bonus, but it's also a handicap because mm. you know the idea that Norwegian is like some sort of you know subprime version of Danish is ridiculous, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's its own world and it's, it's right, own yeah. its own you know raison d'être and its mm. own way of being and its own you know emotional states which go with it, which are different, you know. You know it's always you, you know, <laughs> but you know you know what it's like sometimes. You know, people are not used to interpretation, get quite excited about oh, it, don't they? Yes. Yeah, okay, and mm. so so they, they were they were, they were get quite excited about it and say hi hey I've got to speak Norwegian now mm. it's quite see how quite good the interpreter yeah well a lot of <laughs> a lot of checking goes on but I'm an old old dog I know how yeah. to cover my tracks you know I'd like to talk about music a little bit. Go on then. Um, I could just ask, how did you get into music? But I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> did you grow up in a musical family? Were you? Well, my or? father played a bit. He played the piano a bit. You know, mm. he, but more as a general skill uh, that many people had. Or? Well, no, my, I was I was sent to piano lessons. You know, mm. because, because I, that's what people I came from a nice middle class yeah, home, and, that, that's, and what I mean. know, yeah. that's what you did. And mm. I went to the Ismar Govet School of Piano Forte in Ealing. Mm-hmm. And I was a poor piano student, mm-hmm. really, because Your I never heart wasn't in it. Well, it's not that I was, you know, I, somehow never got. I was. I always liked it. I just never got around to practicing for mm. whatever reasons of laziness, distraction, you know. Yeah, and uh, and then I used to go down there. And I I I have my my knuckles wrapped by the piano teacher. Mm. You haven't practiced. You haven't touched the piano once this week, have you, Alex? <laughs> Don't just look down and shrug. <laughs> Yeah, but I've been there. but I mean also because I mean I I I I always had a good ear, so instead of reading the notes properly, I used to copy what she played as well, hmm. which is quite nice in one way. But it means I mean my 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 sight reading is abysmal, you know, hmm. and still is, you know. But then yeah, with with you know adolescence, I must have been about sixteen when I discovered. Don't forget when I was sixteen. That was 1967. I mean, mm. it was like the you know, the apotheosis of the rock and roll century. You yes. know what I mean? And I got really into blues. Mm. Then I started learning to play the blues for myself. You know, mm. that was still on the piano then. Right? That was yeah. still on the piano. Oh. And I used to. I got. I had a Memphis Slim album for for all you uh, you know blues aficionados out there, which I virtually <laughs> copied off the record. Yeah. In those days, there weren't any of the modern age. You simply had to put it on the turntable and listen to it, take it off, play it, put it on the yeah. turntable. Yeah. yeah, to the point, and I was doing the, doing those sort of boogie woogie shapes with my left hand to, mm. to my parents' distraction, <laughs> to the point where they actually locked the piano to prevent me playing. It. So, you know, oh, most wow. parents are very very keen that their their their, their children should take yeah. an interest in music. But it got to the the point where my my parents really couldn't bear it any longer. It used to sort of ah. limit my my playing of boogie woogie bass shapes to certain hours of the day. So know? it was more because of of. It, it was not because it was blues and they thought that wasn't a good style no I don't know although my dad my dad used to say why did you play something with a melody instead of that yeah. vamp you know yeah. but, you know yeah. but I don't think they were ideologically opposed to it as okay. such it's just yeah. that it was just it was just really really tiresome to listen to after yes. a while you know yeah. but uh, <laughs> so I, I, I had a I was able to play a pretty decent sort of boogie a few standard things mm. I played quite decently boogie woogie piano I went away to university 
university, I used to there's a piano there, you know, in the in the in the students' union. I used to play there. Mm. People used to come up to me and say, "Hey, do you want to join my band?" In those days, I was know? going to ask about that if you played in any ensembles. And I something. said no because oh. in those days I was very into into mountaineering and climbing, and most right. of my weekends were taken up sort of going going to the Lake District, going up to Scotland, Northumberland, going mm. climbing and hiking and stuff like that. So I said no, which was a shame, really, because mm. I don't know what ever happened to those bands that were formed at Newcastle University then, but some of them may be famous now, but I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I let it pass me by. That on this. <laughs> <laughs> there was a couple of other people, was a, and we formed a little band, you know, hmm. which was, what I think back, it was absolutely awful. We were useless, you know. But I mean, I used to, I fronted the band, and by then I was playing the harmonica as yeah. well, because actually it was while I was in Denmark, actually, I, I, there was another guy turned up at this this hospital where I worked yeah. was an English guy whose mother was Danish so we had a oh, similar background yeah, and he, would and he visit, was an yeah. art he was an ex-art student he was pretty he was a bit more sort of you know radically alternative mm -hmm. than I was a guy called Stephen Goodfellow and he could play blues harmonica and I'd already I always play the harmonica bit because my father had had, uh, had let, given me a harmonica for my birthday once and I mm. played it but I only played kind of Scottish type tunes you know and I hadn't learned, yeah, yeah I hadn't really learned to play uh, play the blues style which of course normal mouth organ playing is based on on blowing yes whereas blues is based upon sucking mm -hmm. and of course once i learned that of course there was no holding me back because yeah. it was just absolutely tremendous and, off. Yeah. and of course you know i mean there was a wonderful thing for showing off to girls and stuff oh, yes. like that you yeah. know <laughs> you know i mean so, mick jagger does it to great effect yeah. you know, until this very day <laughs> yeah well really it's about time he grew out of that nonsense yeah. Yeah. but uh yeah. so i mean i used to, I, in the end i fronted this band on, on harmonica mm -hmm. and anyway it went on from there gradually 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 i went i always played i played with different people in different combinations mm. I, I i got i got a, a fender rose piano and i started writing mm. my own songs and then we recorded some songs I, mean, my, I did a little single back in uh it must have been 79 80 yeah and then on from there, really. And then I, you know, I wrote more and more songs. I played in different bands and stuff, and it, you know, became a, the most natural thing in the world. You know, so. Uh, but you never pursued a, a professional or semi-professional. Well, I don't think you. I mean, it's not really a good bet, music, is it? No. But well, I had this job here, which was just you know, mm. without you know, which was I always enjoyed, mm. which I never had to bust a gut. It paid all the bills and some. Yeah. And I, you know, and I got to travel and uh, I mean that's a, a genuine and sincere love is his language so I mean I yeah. you know to, to spend your spend your life you know doing something you love and and, and it paying the bills is, is, is really the definition of happiness really it, isn't it it is yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, what's his name the guy who just died recently Tom Petty said Tom Petty, you know? yeah. yeah and I couldn't see you can't I couldn't agree more mm. and and yeah music I we we I made a couple of albums which I think are absolutely of, of, of decent professional quality. They are. Yeah, I can but I, that. <laughs> I, but I, I, I never, I, I tried marketing them a little bit, but I mm. don't think they ever really. I think it's a bit of a niche, really, and mm. I, I don't and think it takes a lot of work marketing that and, and doing it, even just semi-professional. Yeah, I think it's, Oh, it's a tremendous. It's yeah. a full-time job, yeah. you know, and it's not even a job I'm very good at. You mm. know? Yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, marketing yourself is very awkward. I think as mm. well, a psychological is very awkward. You know. Yeah. Say hey, I listen to the listen to me. I'm great. Mm. I mean, I've never been very good at that. It's, I mean, mm. it may be just you know false modesty or something. But I mean, I've I've always found that very very awkward. You know, mm. but uh, 
anyway. You know, I mean, uh, I've, I've been then uh, more recently, Andy uh, Andy Upton recruited me to Bohorn, the folk group. Because I had a whole background in folk music. Because again, uh, when I was a young man, I, 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 my first ever job, I bought an accordion. Don't mm. forget, I was actually brought up on Scottish music because my father yeah. was a Scotsman, and so I got this accordion to play basically Scottish country dance music. You know, so I'm kind of steeped in that stuff. Mm. You know, and when I was when I was uh, when I was uh, recruited to play in Mahorn, of course, it opened up a whole new world of songwriting in a in a in a folk genre, which I've got yeah. a, a huge amount of fun on. I think that's my real strength is actually is songwriting. I yeah. mean at the risk of sounding, you know, self-important. I think I'm quite a good songwriter. Mm-hmm. I'm an okay musician, but compared yeah. to real musicians, I'm pretty sort of average, you know. Yeah. But people say, Wow, you're great, but I know deep down yeah. I'm okay. You're not a virtuoso, uh, yeah, but you don't have to be. No. Know, well no. Yeah. Well, well, that's another very interesting thing. I mean, vir- virtuoso. I mean, <laughs> I think the the thing is, what touches people, I think, is is songs. Yeah, I don't think people are people are impressed by a virtuoso performance. By fast fingers, yeah, for example. But I really yeah. think what touches people is something completely different, which yeah. is which is a song, you know? And uh, that's something which interests me far, far more, you yeah. know? And I'd rather spend my time, you know, working on songwriting than, you know, going through the shapes of my fingers that I'm yeah. blue in the face. Exercising you know? scale. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. you know? Yeah, and... Uh, so that's what I've been. That's what I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of work with the, with, with folk songs. In fact, I've got now that I've retired, I'm, I'm you know spreading my wings a bit because I've, mm. I've got another uh, group going. Elixir, it's called. Yes, yeah. it keeps you young. That's the idea. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then I'm doing a. Because there's some things which is uh, it's difficult to do with Bahorn because Bahorn's good at certain types of things. Mm, it's a particular but the, yeah, but, but the thing that I want to do is more a kind of crossover between blues and folk, mm. altogether a bit more syncopated, a bit funkier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to get together a group of people to play that stuff for me with the hope of doing an album, you know, which yeah. would be quite nice, you know. And then I've got my old rock and roll band, About Time too, you yeah. know. So it's not that easy to get these people together, but we're still the best of friends. And yeah. I think they would recognise that, you know, between us we did some fantastic work on those albums. Yeah. And I think they're, they, I'm so pleased that they are as proud of it as I am, mm. really, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? I'm okay, you're okay, that's all you got to say, girl. If I had my way, you would just go away. There in dreamy land You think that I'm the man Who is your biggest fan Some kind of Peter fan The universe is expanding Infinity in infinity got to be careful because I, I don't want to spread myself too thin either you yes. know you know? still want to enjoy you know 
Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, as I say, I really used, to, I really used to think people were just, you know, whistling in the dark when they said, "Oh, you, you know, hmm. you know, you wonder how you ever, ever had time to work." Well, that's exactly what's what's happened, really. Yeah. You know, for example, now I'm, 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 I'm when I'm finished with you, I'm off to a, to a sculpture class, which I've taken oh, up, yeah. which uh, you know enables me to sort of pursue some uh, artistic fantasies I had, you know, hmm. and that this that thing is 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 growing, you know, hugely, you know, because I've. My, I managed to, by mouthing off to the teacher, I've got him you know, enthused in my project, which okay. means I'm kind of stuck with it now, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, you know. Have to in fact, that's the only, being somebody who by nature is actually very idle, the only way I can yeah. get anything done is by shooting my mouth off and then uh, finding I'm c committed, you know, yeah. because the alternative is a total loss of face. Really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but that works works for me as well. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you, you you actually find that that you're not falling into a deep black hole after retirement. Because not they, at they all. They offer training as well for people who are about to. Retire no, I followed that. Think, yeah. I followed that, and I think was, you have to even. I, I, I think will, it's mandatory. I followed that, and then it was quite interesting. But I. Mm. You know, so far, you know, I, I don't, I feel actually like it's a whole new lease of life. Mm. You know, the only thing which is different is that you know. I mean, when you're young, you're the, you know, your your future compensates for current inadequacies, doesn't it? Whereas now I don't really, it, yeah. I don't really have you know that 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 sort of money in the bank anymore. Yeah. You know? But you know, I mean, uh, no, I hope to be able to do some really interesting things. I think the thing to do is, I mean, it's it's one of those things which is very easy to say, but enjoy it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, when I think back to my life in music, much of the time is spent on projections into the future. When we've got this, when we've done mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. then this will be that and that. Yeah. But you you spend a whole lifetime like that, you know, and you kind yeah. of miss out or miss your life, really, you know. Yeah. So I mean, what I'm trying to do is concentrate now is on you know enjoying it uh, for what it is now. We had a Bahorn rehearsal last night, for example, mm -hmm. and we came up with some great ideas. We had a great yeah. laugh together, and that in and of itself is is an end and and, and a purpose you know and that's the great thing about yeah. making music with other people you yeah. know these coming up with things together or oh no just, absolutely yeah. you know I absolutely yeah. because you know because you know but i don't know i think it's like conversation how often have you come up with an idea in conversation which mm. you'd never thought of before yeah, yeah. well you sat there you know in your own little box you know i mean you know you're the same things keep coming around but but if but but but, but you know when you have the stimulus of other people suddenly something comes around you never realize your thought before i mean mm. that's really in fact the whole business of conversation is really interesting because i was speaking to a, a friend of mine from university who'd worked for exxon mm -hmm. And uh, he retired there, and he went to the to those. You know, they have the equivalent retirement lectures, and they were talking about what's the best way of of uh, fending off, you know, you know, Alzheimer's and general, right. you know, mm. mental deterioration. And people would say, you know, Sudoku or uh, <laughs> chess or something. But no, yeah. the, the most important thing is conversation. <laughs> The fact that what the other person says, you know, stimulates you to come up with something. The mere fact that you ask me a few sort of seemingly obvious questions, you know, mm. stimulates this, sorry, forgive you, this stream of consciousness, you know what I mean? You know. But that's exactly what I want to yeah, yeah. so I'm fine. <laughs> Just a boy from another nowhere town. You will have noticed that I really enjoy talking to Alex. I don't usually include my side of the interview in my episodes anymore. In this case, however, 
it seemed like a good fit. And also, I set up my audio recorder incorrectly, but that's another story. Pour la petite histoire, as Alex would say, he was there when I went on my very first interpreting trip abroad, what we in Skik call a mission. The trip was to Reggio Emilia, and I remember thinking, wow, what interesting characters they have in this interpreting service. By the way, the music extracts throughout this episode are from two bands that Alexander's been involved in, About Time and their album Songs from the Underground, and folk band Bohorn. Their album is called Binary, and the other band members and fellow gig interpreters are Elise Doherty, Jane McBride, and Andy Upton. When you are chosen. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please spread the word. I'd love for you to recommend the podcast to anyone and everyone you think might be interested. The podcast website is www.langfm.audio and there's also a Twitter account at Langfm Pod. Do say hi. And until then, goodbye.